is going on, everybody? What is hey. going on? What's Ooh. up, guys? It's been a it's been a long, it's hot today, isn't it? Oh my goodness, it's hot mm -hmm. today too. But nevertheless, we're back in the all white rep in the yes, ooh, we side. are right here. It's, it's kind of confusing, right? Yeah. yeah. But repping the focus on youth. Welcome back, everybody. We do appreciate you guys coming, uh, tuning into us. Um, we're back with the focus, and we have a great one for you guys today. Um, last week, if you guys missed it, um, it's available on our YouTube and as well as Spotify and Google Podcasts. <coughs> Sorry about that. But we do. We last week we did talk about financial literacy. Um, we had some great panelists from the board and as well from. Um, people that do entrepreneurship, financial literacy, teaching outside. Um, and we spoke about just a bit about the basics of investing, the pros and cons to it, and how to get started, really. And it was a great discussion. We hope you guys loved that one because I sure found that informative. I know Rebecca was out here taking down her. She had her she, she had her pen and her paper ready. <laughs> but we're, we, have, we got a good one for you today. Before we get into it, we're just going to do our land acknowledgement and get started. Thank you, Zach. So, it's important to acknowledge Canada's history of enslavement, racial segregation, and marginalization as it has had a devastating impact on people of African descent. The existence of systemic anti-Black racism and inequality in education, housing, employment, health, criminal justice, politics, and other areas can be directly traced to the complex legacies of the dehumanizing enslavement of African people in Canada. Canada has neither recognized nor educated the public adequately about the historical facts related to slavery and the anti-Black racism it has produced. Despite this, Black Canadians have made outstanding contributions to Canada in every field, which is all the more remarkable given the legacy of slavery. It is necessary to recognize the history of Black Canadians in order to build a more just society free from discrimination. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. So with that, we have a pretty full episode discussion today. Um, yes. We're talking about racism today. Um, but now. Yeah. And the next steps that we can take. Um, this discussion is one that's going to be very, uh, very challenging in some sorts. So if you guys have anything to say, let us know in the comments. Um, share your opinions, your thoughts, your feelings. If you guys are just listening with us, um, let us know what you guys think afterwards or your thoughts. Um, you can find us on Instagram. We'll talk about that later. But nevertheless, Rebecca, you ready? I'm ready. Ready? Let's let's get into our discussion. Yes. So I'm going to introduce our first guest, which is a really good friend that I met this year within the Equity Subcommittee. His name is Mr. Logan. Hey, Logan, who are you? Logan. Hi, uh, I'm Logan Liu. You may be wondering why is a white guy here? Don't worry. I'm not <laughs> going to be anything problematic. Um, I am a student at St. Michael's Choir School. I, am, I was also a former ambassador for French for the Future, and I currently sit on an executive board of a new Democratic Party um, Electoral District Association here in the city of Toronto. So, okay, Damn. okay, okay, um, Logan. What we usually do with all our guests, you know, to help break the ice, let us know a fun fact about yourself. So, a fun fact about myself is 
oh, I was selected to be one of the delegates for the convention of the New Democratic Party uh, this year in, I believe, April. Uh, so, yeah, wow. I to vote on national policy that will be brought forward next election. And I'm really proud of what happened at that convention. You're really involved in politics. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that takes a lot. I know personally, and we don't even have to get into that, but politics is tough. Politics is tough, so... It can be at times, a lot. definitely. A yeah. lot. Thank you, Logan, for being with us. And stay put because we're going to get into our next guest. Um, friend, of, friend of mine, friend of the show as well. Um, and he works now with MLSE Launchpad, Mr. Rime. Hey. Hey, everyone. Um, thanks, Zach. I appreciate that. Um, my name is Rime. Um, I'm a third year student at York studying political science and English. I also work at MLSC Launchpad. So we're just a space um, <clears throat> that offers sport programming through um, building life skills and things like that. We're at Dundas and Jarvis. So if you're ever interested, slide by when we're open. Um, a fun fact about me. Um, dang, okay, I have I have two dogs. I have two dogs, both two pitties. And second, maybe I'll give you guys a second one. I'm weirdly addicted to peanut butter. I love wow. peanut butter. I love it so much. Yeah, so you put on basically anything. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> but, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, up next, another really good friend. She's a co-exec, a co-director, Miss Shania. Hey. <laughs> um, so my name is Shania. I go to Senator O'Connor, uh, incoming UBC student. Um, <laughs> um, and I am the director of social justice on the CSLIP board. And I guess a fun fact about me, um, I used to swim for the Canadian team. Um, and yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. She's just, she just going to drop Canadian team. She's just going to drop Canadian team. Like that's not a big deal. Wow. That's, okay, <laughs> that's okay though. OCS stand up. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into our last guest. Um, and she's a she's a coordinator here at Focus on Youth, and maybe she'll tell a bit tell us a bit about what she does within Focus on Youth. Miss Lauren, hey, hey Lauren, hey guys, um, I'm Lauren. I am going into my third year at Ryerson University studying sociology, and I am also a art coordinator at Focus on Youth. So, yeah, thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All righty. Now that we have all of our panelists up here, we can get into the conversation that we want to have. And I know, um, you know, when me and Zach were planning this conversation, one of the things we were worried about, we were worried about if this was just going to be another one of those redundant conversations about racism. We were like, we just don't want to call a whole bunch of people, you know, to come on the panel, just to have a conversation that people have been having all year, you know, like we need to talk about going beyond and stuff. But before we get into that, I feel like there's a question that, you know, people are always afraid to ask. And this comes with people of color and then this comes with black people. But, you know, we usually talk about racism towards the white man, towards, you know, white people, but Real quick, because, you know, even when me and Zach were talking about it, we were kind of debating over it, too. But just to clear the air, you know, just just to ask, like, do you guys think that on our behalf um, that racism can be a thing? Do you guys think that we could be racist as people of color? So just curious about, you know, your guys' opinions on that, because in my opinion, I say no. I say no. I, 
I can talk first. Um, I also say no. I think there's a there's a big difference between being prejudiced, you know, against a race and actually being racist against a race. Like when I think of the word racism, I think of it being systematic, right? And mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, a dominant race is kind of using their power to oppress another person or to oppress another race. And personally for me, um, I don't think black people or the black community has that power to oppress another race, but mm -hmm. I 100% agree, um, agree that we, we are, um, we, sorry, we are, um, sorry, we are, we are prejudiced. I, I 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, Lauren, even to add to your point, um, I stand on that hill with um, you and Rebecca. I don't think that black people can be um, racist simply because racism is something that it's an idea that is it stands on the legs of my, like oppressing a minority or somebody that or a group of people that's marginalized. And so in a lot of ways, yes, we can be pre um, we can we have our prejudice beliefs. We have our, we can be discriminatory. We can be very problematic. However, um, to be racist, I don't think, not even I don't, I full, 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 fully, wholeheartedly believe that that isn't something that is possible simply because in the context of race, we are the marginalized group. Therefore, we cannot be, <laughs> we, we can't be racist in like just in its own definition. It, it, the logic has to align and, and it doesn't. Yeah, because the thing is, though, but some people say that prejudice um, is racism, though. Like, being prejudiced is racism. And so I see Shani just went, like, I don't think so, but... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say so, just because, like, prejudice is, like, yeah, like, you have a certain assumption or kind of, like, a stereotype of a, a race, which I can see commonly with my parents just because, like, they're immigrants. And so, like, you know, sometimes it's, like, it's confusing, and that's not to go to say, like... Um, I'm not going to go and like correct them the next second. But like, I just think that when it comes to racism, it's like you're more so acting on that prejudice than you are just like letting it slide. So that's why I just don't think that it's the same because racism is like you're really acting on it. You're really going to say it to someone's face or like you're really going to just go out and about and kind of talk to your friends and be like that. So that's mm -hmm. why I don't think so. But and I like, sorry, sorry, Rime. Uh, go ahead, Rebecca, go. No, I was going to say, I just like how she brought up the point about parents, because now when we're talking about parents, especially immigrant parents, <laughs> they can say a lot of problematic things with no shame. And it's like <laughs> problematic, you know, and but then that's when I kind of realized where like they're probably not being racist to the person. This is just them being prejudiced. This is just them acting upon a stereotype that they have in their head. So, yeah, I think that was a good way to differentiate it. But um, one thing that I would say, though, is... Um... Racism isn't necessarily like an external act or it's not really like, like, I mean, it is measured. I mean, if somebody calls you a certain word or something like it can be measured or it can be observed. However, like racism is something that's structural, something that is actually intangible in a lot of ways. And that's the more powerful. That's that's the real, I guess, not to say that being called something or being said like something being said about you in the, and you, your race being the focal point of it isn't racist because it is, but um, racism is something that is actually intangible. It's it's almost like a reaction to an idea of mm -hmm. white supremacy, for example, or 
or which is in by and part anti-blackness, you know? So it, even then so, I would think like prejudice, first off, everybody's prejudice has their own prejudice. I think that's the natural part of being um, the human with a critical mind. I think naturally you will have your um, own prejudice from picking up on patterns and things like that. However, again, racist is, I think that's a reach still. If anyone calls black person racist, I think that's a real reach. Yeah. And then, you know, since we're just like on the topic of comments, right? So like, let's say now when a person of color makes a joke about a white person, do you guys think <laughs> we should be called out on that? We can, we can get Logan's point Logan, you're shaking your head, bud. When you, hear, when you hear a person of color maybe say that comment about white people, do you think like... Listen, are they oppressed? The answer is no. <laughs> white people are not oppressed. It, it's, it's like saying, it's like, you know what I'm going to compare it to? I'm going to compare it to, you know, it's kind of like mouthing off at, or like trying to sue McDonald's. It's like they can sue back and they're not going to lose any money. They're not going to care. They're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's just literally they're just like oh cute you want to sue us here's our lawyer we, he, they're already hired by us full time we're not losing anything wow. like yeah. th- that's the kind of attitude that, that I take um, towards that kind of stuff uh, of course if it's like you know people can get hurt by comments but everyone can get hurt by comments it doesn't make it <laughs> of that seriousness yeah it's it's honestly that that's probably the best way that i can say it it's like suing a multinational company over their cereal box (laughs) like they do in the u.s and they're like that's cute you can sue us it's not going to change we're still rich you know can we say that reverse racism doesn't exist then because that's also another conversation reverse racism we if we talk about it in a North American context, no, and, I, and I'd gather to say in the whole world, probably not. But then, you know, are there instances where there is reverse prejudice? For instance, if we look at like political parties, for instance, like the, uh, I don't remember what they're called. They're called the IFF, I think, in South Africa. Um, something Freedom Fighters, and, and they definitely have their prejudices against the Afrikaner population, which is understandable from a generational trauma standpoint. Um, But I don't think reverse racism exists necessarily. Reverse prejudice, but everyone can have reverse prejudice. Like, no. I know this was like a real conversation that I have with like my friends sometimes. And like, I do, you know, I do have, a few white friends, right? And I do have a few friends who aren't black. So then when you accidentally, and I'm not, I'm not even gonna sit and act like I'm innocent. I crack the jokes, I make the jokes. Mm-hmm. And then instantly I'm like, wait, am I even allowed to say that? Should I say that? Are they gonna think something of that? They're gonna think of negative. And then you kind of come off negative and pessimistic, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it also you gotta be nice to each other. But yeah, I think I think that was just, that's yeah, like a Just, comment. you know, f- follow the golden rule except if someone's discriminating against you, then go after them with a human rights complaint or something. Do what you want. We, yeah. we talked about also, the... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, also, sorry. Um, I don't believe um, reverse racism, racism exists, but I, I do believe that there is um, discrimination kind of within the, the Black community itself. Um, 
with colorist jokes and all that sort of stuff. I agree. Right. Um, I know we, we kind of touched on this in terms of our social media episode a few weeks ago, but this is kind of a twofold question. One, uh, everything that's happened this past year um, with all the, the posting, the reposting on people's Instagrams, Twitters, and whatnot, um, with all the Black Lives Matter movements that was going on, uh, some people got like weird backlash for not posting, like for, for being that certain skin color or not posting or um, have, feeling that pressure and like not even being educating themselves. We talked about education before posting, but not educating themselves before posting. So one, like, um, like when people say, I guess maybe Lauren, maybe you could speak on this as well. Like some people say like, oh, like um, you're not, you're not black enough or you're not, you're not black. If you, if you don't support your own kind, if you don't, oh, sorry, I almost fell. You don't, if you don't re, if you don't repost your own kind, um, that's, that's very, it's very concerning to me, um, that process, that, that mental process. But I want to hear maybe another person's perspective on this. And maybe, Logan, you can share as well, too. Sorry, go ahead, Lauren. Um, well, when that whole Black Lives Matter movement was going on in the beginning of 2020, um, I think Black people already go through so much. You know what I'm saying? We, we I think most of us have, have been through tra traumatizing experiences in our life. So... When that happened and the whole George Floyd murder happened, it for me personally, it kind of re-traumatized me in a way. Um, just seeing an innocent black man getting killed on your timeline. Like, that's not normal. You know what I'm saying? Just video right. videos of an innocent man getting murdered. So um it, it really it really hurt my mental health. I, I had to take time off of social media. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to be on social media. So just the fact that people kind of associate posting um, a, a pic on your story with supporting a cause. It's kind of, it's kind of confusing to me because people can be doing so many other things. People can be signing petitions. People can be protesting outside. People can be um, donating to certain causes. Just um, posting a picture or, or posting something on your story doesn't mean, or not posting something doesn't mean that you're not supporting mm -hmm. A cause. But to just pick up on what you said though, Lauren, right? Because then on the other side of that, right? There was a lot of pressure on, like for example, maybe for some people, all they could do was post. It was a pandemic, it was lockdown. A lot of people couldn't go and protest. I know I wanted to go and protest. And my mom was like, hell no. Like you're not going outside with all those people in the middle of the city, you know, and you're not going out there, one, right? And just like, signing you sign all those petitions but then sometimes you're like well what is what does the petitions do you know and it's yeah. like and then and this, this I can is answer that from a political perspective later because yeah. those petitions are not what you think they are and they don't work exactly and so now when it comes to posting right you got to really check your intentions are you posting it so that your friends know that you're aware of it or are you posting because you found something interesting and you actually want to share it is your platform now really your platform or are you just or is it controlled because you're influenced by everybody else so that you know you go ahead and post and the reason why i think this is really problematic because as soon as someone saw oh wait you were quiet especially during those times you were quiet for two days on instagram 
And I don't even mean to say the slur, but it's, but it's like you coon. Like, how are you not posting about your people? No, but straight up, that's what it is. How did you not? How are you not posting about your people every two days? Now, when it comes to, for example, all those videos of people, you know, going through police brutality, you know, like the different things that they go through within prison and jail, right? Now, when they're out, like now, let's say I don't want to repost that because that's traumatizing because I know the kind of people that follow me, because I know that that's just going to desensitize yourself because I don't want to post graphic things. On the other side of that, there was like, you know, some intense hate on the other end of it. So petitions, I hate to say, but I really, I really don't think people realize they're not as like, we've come to a point where that is, that has become extremely. It depends which petitions, but yeah. So from a political perspective, as someone in the political arena, if it says change.org, it's not going to change anything. And here's why, because when it says this is being sent to Justin Trudeau, it's being sent in an email, one. And a better way to actually engage is actually number one, to call. The number one thing when Doug Ford made that comment against that indigenous MPP, the one tactic that was used and it worked was instead of writing that change.org petition and then sending one email with 15,000 signatures to Doug Ford's office. Instead, Doug Ford's office got 8,000 calls. And what does that tell them? A whole of a lot more than one email when the petition's closed. Mm-hmm. And another one of those things is the petitions on change.org have to be closed before they're sent. And so a lot of these petitions with these huge amounts of signatures are still not closed and they've never been sent. So, um, so what happens there is number one, if you're signing a petition, try and get it on the house of commons page, because that can actually be sponsored by an MP and actually go to the national level. But also I I do just want to caution people generally with this whole kind of new kind of activism online, because we saw, um, that people didn't actually know what they were posting, number one, which is harmful for many reasons. Um, And number two, people actually didn't care, and especially the white people who were harassing either other white people or even other minorities for not posting, you know, BLM. Maybe they just, you know what, maybe they work in a public service job and they can't post that because they're risking their job. Mm -hmm. Again, people don't consider other people when they do this stuff. And um, although it is great to raise awareness, again, there was, for instance, and this might be a little bit controversial, right? But there was this uh, post that was going around with the Israel-Palestine conflict that was saying, let's not call it a conflict or something in that. And all of the Jewish community... And a lot of the Palestinian community started saying this post is not it because um, it had a lot of stuff wrong with it. I'm not going to get into it, but people were reposting and reposting and reposting. And when you went to actually look at the organizations in those areas in Israel and Palestine who are on the ground, they have pictures of it and they're like, please don't post this because it's not it's not yeah. what's actually going on on the ground. And I think, I think that's what happens. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, and, and that's what happens with this kind of, you know, just repost, repost, repost. How about instead of reposting, we actually just post our own stuff, our own, like, instead of just posting the, you know, the black square, 
How about post the black square, but then put in gray in the background your actual feelings on it so people know that you know what's going on. People know that you that you care enough that you're not just being like, okay, I, I'm a white person. Let's post this black square and let's go to sleep because we've done what we can. No, you have not. You have not gotten involved in politics. You have not emailed your MP, MPP, city councilor saying, this is what needs to go on, you know? It, it's that kind of stuff that when, honestly, when I see people who have the kind of 20 Instagram posts and then nothing else, they have like 20 Instagram posts about the thing for a week and then you never hear about it again. It's like, let's follow up on these things. Let's actually keep them in mind. Um, it, it's, yeah. it's so much and, and there's so many more ways that you can get involved. And I think with the pressure that was on social media, then that just led people to not even really read what they were posting and just reposting whatever. And, and it dilutes, and it dilutes the actual movement. Yeah. Because the movement is reduced to a, um, the movement is reduced to a trend, and then mm -hmm. it goes away because trends and fads go away. And, and, and I, I can compare this even to the music industry right now and people getting mad when their music trends on TikTok because what happens, I'll use this analogy, when your music trends on TikTok, it trends for two, um, it trends for two weeks and then it goes off the Billboard 200 like that. No one's listening anymore. The thing that we have to do is we have to keep the momentum going even if it's not as visible and not everyone is posting it the people who are involved will continue to post it yeah the people who are involved will also work behind the scenes mm -hmm. because the real work happens unfortunately behind closed doors and i think another thing we can just we can add to this because i know another topic that we wanted to to discuss is about how our skin tone is not necessarily political because, and even having this conversation with some people, some people are like, well, our skin tone is political. There's a lot of history with it. Like, how can you say it's not political? But then in my opinion, I don't think it's political. I think I should be allowed to just be black and just be that. And with that, right? Like now let's say when, like when we, you know, attach it to social media and throughout that year, I know that I felt this pressure. I have a few friends who felt this pressure, but all of a sudden we had to become advocates and activists overnight. And I don't think what a lot of people realize is I probably have the same knowledge that Shania has, that Lauren has, or, you know, whatever, like anybody like around my age, I probably have the same knowledge as them. And it's not any better just because I'm black, because really, at the end of the day, I grew up in the same education, education system as you did. Right. And so I know we have our experience to go on that. But when it when it comes to now being like the token black kid to now. Um, go speak at this conference, go speak at this event, go do this, you have to speak up. And then there's comes times where I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't want to go on the news and speak. I didn't want to go and do this. And all of a sudden that was an issue. And all of a sudden, you know, comes yeah. back. Go ahead, Remy. Um, Yeah, one thing, I it's funny, because this is something that, or what you just shared, Rebecca, is something that I've been thinking about a lot, but I wanted to um, speak on what Lauren said. I agree, facts, Lauren. I think that that whole George Floyd thing was very very traumatizing even for myself personally like i was an emotional wreck for like three or four days i was crying i was upset i was calling my therapist i was like yo i need help i was i was i was shaking it you know because it was a lot and like um it turns out that everything just became 
almost like trauma porn where it's just everywhere all over your timeline and you're just kind of like whoa i don't want to see this i don't want to see this but you kind of have to but um yeah so i agree lauren but to back to your point rebecca i've been i've been like in my own like personal limbo with that idea because the thing is where i stand is like you do know a lot like you do know what quite a bit because you live that experience you know mm-hmm. so it's like this weird thing of like you like you all of us are or whoever identifies with this issue is actually inherently an expert at this issue whether they know the facts of the matter whether they know x percent of people who have died or how many police officers were convicted like that's almost besides the point to some extent because you inherently know what's happening because you experience it right so it's almost like this weird thing but then again i'm not for tokenism at all at all like i'm like I'm that's, really, that was just kind of the result of it yeah yeah facts and like for quite a bit of my life i was in high school like the token black you you know like zach went to high school and even shiny went to high school with me too like i wasn't wearing no braids or um talking how i'm talking like you know i was very modeled my t's crossed eyes dotted and I realized coming out of high school that that wasn't even who I was, you know? So I'm not for tokenism either. However, like there's this weird, like I personally am in this weird limbo with the idea of like sharing because I know, but also making sure that I'm not a token same way. So it's, I don't know, it's weird, but then again. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of hard too. Cause um, even just going back a bit um, back to our last point, when I first started university and I told people like I was going to Wilfrid Laurier, a lot of people, a lot of friends, I won't say the race, but a lot of friends were like, you're going to Laurier? I'm like, yeah, they're like, hmm, like kind of like, how'd you get in? Like, hmm, like interesting, right? And I told them my program too, they're like, hmm, how'd you get in? And then on the flip side, I told my other friends, I think we know other friends I'm talking about, and then they'd be like, oh, they're going to turn you white out there. They're going to turn you, they're going to turn you white out. They're going to get so whitewashed. I'm like, this doesn't change. <laughs> like, this, this, this does not change. Like, like whitewash to me, like, I don't know, like people in the comments were talking about just because you excel at school, that doesn't make you whitewashed, right? Just because you like, just because you like a certain genre of music that doesn't make you necessarily whitewashed. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah like we're grown up to listen to to hip hop, to listen to our culture, but um, there's no, like, there's no, like, ter- like, it's kind of hard because there's no real, like, token, like, black person, right? Like everyone's different in their own respects. Um, when me, myself and Rebecca, when we started this webinar a couple weeks back or a couple months back, actually, um, some people came up to me after you and our first episode and they're like, oh, like, you're making us black people look so good. You're making us black people look so like so. And I'm just like in my head, like, obviously, like, it's nice to hear that. Like, it's nice to hear that your work is being appreciated. But at the same time, you're like, but how are we looked otherwise? Like, how are we looked at otherwise if we're not doing this? Like, how like. What does looking good mean? Like, like how, what does the other side look like, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's no token, um, I guess, black person. There's no, like, yeah, we all have our different, we get into maybe, like, role models and stuff like that, but. Um, and that's a dangerous thing. I think. It's very hard. It's very dangerous, like. And that can prevent us from opportunities, too. Exactly. I, I, have, like, I have a story about that, actually. Um, go ahead. Sorry, Rebecca, I don't even need to cut you off, but. Well, don't um, worry. So in high school, I got into Western and Queens. I'm at York. So, <laughs> and like um, a big reason was I was like, if I go over there, like 
oof, am I, am I going to have a community? Am I, how am I going to feel when I come back to the ends? Because I live in the ends. How What's going to happen when I come back to the ends? Am I going to lose touch with that? This is this. How am I going to talk to my younger bro, my older bro? This is this. If like I'm disconnected from it. But by a part, it um, drove me away from a great opportunity. And that's an opportunity that I regret. And that's something that I share with my younger brother now who's in grade 12. And I'm just like, oh, go as far as you want to go. Go into whatever remote town you want to go. Go to whatever city you want to go. Just go and do it. Because same way is like, that's kind of how you grow. And that's kind of how you learn. And like, it's not really fair that we're kind of burdened with this um, decision to kind of choose the integrity of our blackness or an opportunity, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Rima, you touched on it. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I feel like I'm the literal total opposite. Like, I grew up with all white kids. I when my dance studio consists of all white kids. My high school consists of all white kids, right? So I was always told that I've been whitewashed or, oh, like you aren't the same as other black people because I had nice clothes or I lived in a certain area. And apparently like that didn't fit their criteria of being a black person. So. I kind of made it, I, I go to Ryerson now, right? Which is really diverse. I kind of made it a point. Like I wanted to go to a diverse university because I never had that really growing up. I, I, I never really experienced having a lot of racialized kids in my schools or just in my after school programs. Yeah. Rima, yeah. you made a, you made, you kind of touched on it too. Um, and I kind of wanted to get like, I guess everyone's thoughts on this as well. Like, um, even going back to the token, um, sorry, I keep mentioning it, but it's just, it's on my, it's on my mind. Um, even like, even uh, when you go out, you do good things. You, I'm, I haven't seen this personally. I more so see this in like movies and stuff. But even when you come back to the ends, like Rime mentioned, like people out here saying, oh, like you forgot about us. Like you, you know what I mean? Like you, you switched up on us, you changed on us. But like, I changed up on, I changed up on, I changed up on you like how like the way i act the way i carry myself now like um i changed up because i want to get like better for myself um so it's kind of hard because on one end you're you're facing two battles sometimes you're facing within your own community at times and you're facing the real like corporate world where those opportunities aren't presented as equal as you but then on the other end your people think oh yo you made it you switched up on us you changed on us um all this stuff mm -hmm. it's it's very it's very hard right it's it's very hard but um i guess i don't know like i guess my question is how can one like maybe like combat that or how can like what can what can people do to like um deal with that remain um that's i i mean yeah that's something that i'm trying to figure out myself to be quite honest with you but like you kind of have to like it's hard because so long i think okay blackness is also an idea so it can be expressed however you know so um with that being said like i would say yo go do your go do your thing but where i struggle where i struggle even within myself while i say that is um to some degree i i kind of get where that other person who's from your ends from from where you live saying that yeah, sort of absolutely. thing because yeah because like um when you do go off to these spaces 
you naturally inherit some of those values and some of those ways of thought and things like that. So like when you come back, odds are you will probably express that those values and thoughts and ideas and things like that in your own communities. And there's like that weird, um, like asymmetry kind of, or like this like misalignment kind of between your environment now and yourself. And to be honest, I'm kind of rambling, but what I'm trying to say is go do your thing, but same ways like it's tough because when you do go do your thing, you kind of also want to be able to make sure you know where you come from. And that, that's me, that could be me projecting because that's something that I value, you know, is knowing where you come from, right? So I'll be honest, Zach, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that one because. <laughs> yeah. And I, I relate I relate to Zach and Remy and Shania knows, you know, just throwing her out there. Like I got into Queens and Western and I knew that I wanted to leave the city for university. I knew that I wanted to try something new and go away. And that meant probably going to Queens or Western. And as soon as I put in the group chat, at, mind you, this whole group chat is people of color. Everybody in there was like, are you crazy? Are you trying to get hate crime? Even with Logan, like even speaking with Logan, he was like, you're gonna, if you wanna get hate crime, go there. You're gonna deal with this, 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 and that. And it really like, I mean, it's just like, you can't change it, but. And, and here's the reason why I say that about certain spaces these spaces are generational even certain colleges at uft like trinity college victoria mm -hmm. college um they are generational and very white all of their money is white and therefore all of their catering is to white you know yeah. the money leads to where the money came from kind of thing um which is one of the reasons why when we were talking about university together, I said, how about Carlton? How about Ryerson? Even though that name should be changed, but that's another conversation. <laughs> um, uh, Ryerson, uh, even, you know, I'm going to new college at UFT, um, which is like their multicultural college. It's very much their kind of more international. They have the Caribbean studies is housed there, all, all of that stuff. Um, and uh yeah it's, it's really and and even for like and, and you know it's the funny part white people also do it to other white people as well interesting uh, like if you've ever heard of the orange order in northern ireland white people uh the orange order basically is a group that was made in response to the catholic response in northern ireland so they do parades promoting Protestantism. Mad. <laughs> so it's not only, it is a very white thing to do. And there's a difference between white people and white people. It is a very white thing to do, is to make these kind of, we put ourselves, white people like to put ourselves in boxes. You're this, this, this. Um, and really, that that's becoming a problem for people of color, I think, in, in communities like I've worked in, like the Francophone communities, where most of our Francophone immigrants now are coming from Africa. Uh, and they're struggling to find a space that's made for them. Um, so it, it's those kind of things. We White people like boxes, and, and we like generational stuff. But as you mentioned, right, like the generational stuff, how there's money there, there's opportunities there. And then that's just kind of what determined my decision for where, like, for where I want to go for, go to for university. I was like, 
I might as well capitalize on the privilege that might be there. I might as well capitalize because mm -hmm. I'm black. So I already got like a few scholarships just for being black. So that's going to cover Never up. Good. Yeah. There was just like, there was, they were just throwing money away because they want diversity. If you want diversity, no problem because mm -hmm. I'm going to capitalize <laughs> off of the money that they have. That's it. And I realized that, and I don't want to say it's like, not, not saying that it's a bad mentality, but I don't want to let a certain mentality affect the opportunities that are coming mm -hmm. that way. Like at totally. the end of the day, like, like I know I'm going there for my undergrad, right? But eventually, like I told myself like, okay, no, but I'm gonna get my master's here. Like I have to come back here. I don't wanna end up, you know, starting a life there. But ultimately like, you know, as Zach told me in the past, I'll find my people there. Cause th this, this, this was a fear, especially around March and April. I don't know if he remembers, but he was like, you'll always find your people where you go. Like you'll find people who nice. look where you go. So I was like, you know what, like I'll be fine. And there's opportunities, especially for what I want to go into, like I'm going to need to capitalize on opportunities if I want to be successful. So. And opportunities yeah. are opening up everywhere, especially with the government. You know, if you apply for FSWEP, which is the Federal Student Work Experience Program, like I did, they have huge safeguards in place. Um, stuff is incrementally getting better, I'd say in the public sector more than it is in the private sector necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, but th there needs to be a kind of, I think, a paradigm shift in how we look. First of all, Canada, I think it's travesty. Canada has no H HBACUs. We have HBACUs, no. HBACUs, yeah. We have none, which is a problem. Why is that? <laughs> why, why? And I was even like thinking about the like joining a sorority or something, but that would just be so dumb as a black woman, like. Joining a sorority, I felt like, what's the point? Like, there's no HBCUs and- Even in Canada, our indigenous community too, like indigenous peoples like are still suffering and they don't have those, you know- Indigenous those people have the occasional, I believe there are a couple in the prairies, but they're not even universities. There are like many career colleges that are affiliated to a university. What we need is we need to start like really I think that Ryerson would be a great candidate for turning it into a minority-focused school. I think that they're on that path, but it needs to be accelerated. Um, but then I feel like that's silencing the problem, though. I feel like then that's like, okay. So then there's two ways that I think about that. Like, so now let's, so now we're saying, oh, there's problems everywhere else. Let's just put black people, people of color into one institution so mm -hmm. that they'll be happy. And so all of these people get to keep up with their ways. I think it should be a standard that everybody should uphold that our the color of our skin is not something that is a determining mm -hmm. factor. And I, I like I, I think doing stuff like that can be more problematic than beneficial. Yeah, yeah. and I definitely agree with that. Like I think that um, there's a lot in terms of like affirmative action, like obviously like in the US, like and there's so much controversy like controversial topics around it because it's like so many people are like scared of like, oh, you know what, now I'm gonna have to sit and ponder. And I do this too every time, like anytime I get something in life, like opportunity wise, I'm always gonna sit there and ponder as to whether or not I got it for the reasons that I have the qualifications backing me, or is it because I'm just brown. This is going to look like the poster child. I'm going to look so good on this like yeah. poster for them and that they're going to be able to preach that they have diversity, but that's not necessarily the case. And wow. like just circling back in terms of like when you guys were discussing um, universities, like how you like how you, you always find your people um, in my sense, like 
for me personally, I've always just, I've never really had that community or that sense of community South Asian wise. And it kind of sucks to say that just cause like I've been in schools where that wasn't the case necessarily, um, programs that weren't the case either. So like for me, honestly, it wasn't even a determining factor as to whether or not like I'd be able to find people. Cause of, like, I was always just like, Oh, like I'll, I'll meet friends. That's fine. But like, as like I grow older, I kind of just like I realize it and it's like in the back of my head, like I really don't feel like I have that sense of community and that part of me feels a little bit lost because like I just don't feel like I have a di an identity that's been developed with my own culture just because like I've tried to push it aside for so long just because of people making fun of me or like people just being like have like having those stereotypes but now i just see people are like hopping on these trends and are acting like oh my god this culture is so amazing and it's so interesting to me but like at the same time it's just it's very conflicting for me i don't know it's just my two cents there mm -hmm. um yeah um sonia i i i agree but the one thing i would say um is even if like for myself, I'll speak for my use myself. Even if I receive something because I am black, I would, I would just argue, just take it because at the end of the day, there's no, and I'll tell you why, because there's so many people and it touches on what Logan said. There are so many um, white kids who all they have to do is get a phone, like their parent call the school, call the Dean and they're in wherever. We saw that whole scandal with um in, in the States with the um, Ivy league schools, for example. Right. There are like, and even the whole idea of generational wealth where these people are hella rich because they just got here first, you know? But in reality, what, where was the, um, like all the work was probably done by like their great, 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 great grandparents. You see what I'm saying? And they're just sitting on the gold mine that was given to them. There was no merit involved. There was no quote unquote deservingness, you know, that exists. And I think that's something that um, is instilled in, in a lot of us, um, because we're like first generation Canadians and things like that, where our parents had the idea of like, you know, um, work really hard, work really hard, you'll, then you'll be deserving of X, Y, and Z. You see what I'm saying? However, the truth is, I don't think this world is built on quote unquote deservingness and this like virtue system that we're all acquainted with. You see what mm. I'm saying? And um, even likewise, Rebecca, go, go to Queens, go to Western, do it, because the truth is that there are a million and one opportunities that you can get over there from having a couple, even a couple white friends. You never know who their parents are. And I, I don't mean to say this That's, out loud. I fun. literally make that joke all the time. Like you but never know so, that might hook me up with the job. Facts so, yeah, I, I had one, um, one homie who went to um, Crescent and his his friend's parent worked for like Gucci or something. And like he got hella plugged Mm-hmm. For you see what I'm saying? So like you never know. And the truth is again, this world isn't really based on deserving this. It's it's built around networks and having a strong network and having people who can help you get to where you need to be. So fam, run it up and enjoy it. Yeah. 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 I'd say that the Western Western meritocracy doesn't really exist. It's it's, it's fake. fake. It's the connections though, Logan. Like, you don't know who you'll meet. Well, that's the reason, like, in my personal experience, that's the reason why a lot of parents send their kids to the choir school, if, if we're being honest, because mm -hmm. even more powerful than the school itself is the Alumni Association. It's, mm -hmm. like, the thing. Because, you know, you're fresh out of law school and you'll get 
five business cards by the time you'll walk out of that alumni association meeting because you have those connections. So I'd say it's more a fact of, and that's why we see, you know, places like Harvard and all those places be so high acclaimed. It's not because their education is actually better. It's because the connections are. And what, and, and what that stands for, it stands, it's a status symbol. It stands for something bigger than the education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a brand. Exactly. Really is wow. So yeah, and and I know like the date for choosing universities is just past. Like I think was it yesterday? The days it's yeah, two days ago, June first. Right? Yep. I mean, ultimately, I think it really is an email if you want to make that decision. But I think when it comes to and we're talking about university, but I think when it comes to anything in life, I say choose your best opportunity and go. Obviously, don't lose yourself in the sauce. Don't lose yourself in all of it. And don't forget about your family, like we may mention, you know, or like your your people from back home. But I I, I think when an opportunity comes, like the goal is to always just reach another achievement and get to another one and get to another one and just continue growing. And if it, that if that means you got to do it through some connections, you know, go through elevate, some connections. Yeah, yeah. I definitely would say like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do that. But then and I don't think- do something that will hurt you. Like I was about to do a. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was about to do an Ottawa program that did law straight off of the bat. And and it was a law program that wasn't going to help me anywhere. It was for Francophone minorities. And mm-hmm. I am not Francophone minority. I wasn't born Francophone. So, again, it's like, and again, as a, as a privileged Anglophone white person in this province, I was able to get admitted into a program that wasn't actually for me. Again. so So it's that kind of yeah privilege that you know it it seems to always show up yeah but then now let's say oh sorry Zach. no go ahead go ahead because i was gonna go i was gonna go somewhere else yeah no same i was gonna just kind of get into so like now we're in with let's say now we're in these schools right and let's say now we we're probably going to have to face you know racism discrimination and stuff but we can speak up and i say and what i think is a problem when it comes to speaking up, though, and a problem that I even struggle with to this day is just dealing with white fragility within these institutions while trying to speak up. You know, like I know in previous webinars, right? I've wanted to speak about speak up about certain things, but then certain panels were here, so I didn't feel comfortable about it. You know, so little things like that, like making sure that we don't fear, you know, white fragility when speaking up. Like, and do we know what white fragility means? Like do like do you think we should kind of go? Does anybody want to go over what that maybe means and clear it up? Uh, maybe maybe you know what? Maybe we can get Logan to talk yeah, about white that. fragility from a white perspective. A lot of white people seem to get very mad when the history of white people is brought up or white privilege because white Western society, especially. Anglo-Saxon Western society, like the kind of English kind of Anglo-American society is obsessed with that idea again of meritocracy. Oh, it doesn't matter that you're this or this or this. Um, so that when people bring it up because it, because the inherent white privilege is stopping them from getting the same thing as the average white person, the white people don't be like, Oh, well, you know what? Um, 
you know, we should maybe work on that. No, their immediate reaction is, oh, well, that's not what I've been told. They're, they're attacking me. It's like a personal attack. Um, and, and, and I find that it's, it's not most of the time malicious. There are certain times where it's used like, oh, are, are you saying that because, you know, this, Th that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's really just a misunderstanding uh, of, you know, not even a misunderstanding of blissful ignorance of I think and I, like just how mm -hmm. I think a lot of people of color would say it's just when white people are being really sensitive. Really, that's that's really what it is. Hypersensitivity. Yeah, it, what it is. Hypersensitivity and just because we're the ones who have to deal with the oppression. We're the one who has to deal with the discrimination. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who have to deal with it. Right. So we're used to it. We're coming across it. It's not something new. It's not something that's shocking. Yeah. It's, it's like in a LGBT privilege. It's like LGBT people when you uh, when you bring it up in the states to like a a really conservative person and and they start saying oh well the right to gay marriage is actually infringing on my rights to a heterosexual marriage it makes no sense right it mm -hmm. it doesn't it's it's like the it's like the right of oppressed people to actually voice their oppression and try and fight against it is how is somehow taking away their inherent right to oppress. It's really that simple. Yeah. It's, it's, it's being scared of not being able, I think, to be on top anymore. It's that mm -hmm. kind of, oh, people are starting to know. That. And, and, that's when, and, and that's when people, my favorite thing is whenever you hear a white person start saying critical race theory, you run. Because <laughs> it's going to be. Lauren. I also think that it's just they're, they're uncomfortable. Like they're uncomfortable talking about that sort of stuff. And I feel like they need to get kind of comfortable with being uncomfortable because I've been uncomfortable for my entire life. You know what I'm saying? Like people of color have, have been uncomfortable for their entire life. White people didn't have to walk in the room and be the only white person in that room and, and feel that that sense of being uncomfortable for me every single day. So I think they need to they need to talk about that stuff and be uncomfortable for a day talking about it. You know what I'm saying? Because we've been uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And that was like the point I was trying to make earlier. Like I think the reason why there's this, and I and I, I will say it, I I believe it's hypersensitivity. I think the re the reason why there is the sensitivity is just because you guys aren't like white people aren't the ones who have to deal with it. White people aren't aren't the ones that have to face or struggle, you know, with it. So to them, it's a shock. And to them now they feel offended. And I think that's something that stops a lot of peoples of color's voices. It stops our voice because now we're afraid we're gonna offend or hurt this and that. And that's why we kind of, you know, we started off this webinar, like can black people be racist in our opinion? No, right? This, this like, like we can't offend, like yes, we have prejudices. Yes, we may offend, but we need to make sure that that fear of offending and stuff doesn't stop us from speaking our truth. Because I think that's, and I know for me, that's been a really big struggle in the past. You mean just getting around within systems and stuff, right? Like, oh, I wanna make sure I don't come off offending this person and stuff. But I think to move on, like we have to kind of move on from being afraid of hurting someone's feelings, really. Yeah, I agree with that. And like, I think that sometimes like when we have friends that are white and like we see the things that they say sometimes, we tend to kind of bypass it or we let them just 
go on with their day just because we're afraid to step up or we just don't want to say because we know that it's going to become a controversial co like conversation and we would just rather save ourselves like save ourselves the trouble and like for me personally like something similar like this happened just last year in terms of BLM and trying to fight it with someone who's like close to like me and my sister and it was like it was difficult but at the end of the day like in order to have these like tough conversations honestly speaking sometimes you got to step away from that friendship and you sometimes got to step away from being around them so that they're able to just take their time to themselves to kind of just like look into things and like see things for themselves and then be able to have like I, I'm not like saying like you should just like leave off all your friends but like I think that it's an important part because then they're able to kind of pick and see what they thought was right is now wrong like mm -hmm. and it and it kind of helps them grow because it's like a lot of times those people are very dependent on those friends that they're colored because they love to preach the fact that they're friends with colored people and like no I'm not racist I'm friends with like black people no I'm 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 POC friends, of course, I'm not racist, but it's like sometimes you gotta like remove yourself out of the equation in order for them to just realize that like they can't be dependent on you to be able to educate them or like in like anything in general. So like that's just my take on like the whole like white savior complex, white fragility kind of thing, like and how people are just so sensitive sometimes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think when a white person is put in this position, really i think they should be taking this as correction this is a growing point this is where you get to learn because a lot of this stuff is generational a lot of this stuff is taught you were taught this maybe by your parents by your family what you saw around what you saw on tv and social media right so this should this should be a moment where you kind of get to grow and like and i usually like what i always say is make sure you show up as a student like and i mentioned that like even whenever like saying speeches and stuff i never want to come off like as if I know or have everything everything figured out. Because like I said earlier, I don't know all the facts. My knowledge, despite my experiences, which is true, but in terms of like maybe factual knowledge, like I probably don't have as much and I'm still learning. And so I try to make it clear, like we should always be showing up as a student and not really taking offense from everything that I said, because it's a growing point because you learn and then now your future kids will learn and the future generation will see how we treat each other, right? So. Yeah. And like, it's not going to stop unless you break the chain, like, mm -hmm. or else it's just going to continue going for so long. And then this is where, um, like all of us who are trying to be activists and trying to prevent this from going any further and are trying to be progressive in this, it's just not happening because it's like, some people are just scared of change or they just don't want to change because it's too hard for them so that they just continue to stay in their own ways. And then we give in to the excuse that it's like, you know what? you guys are older generations it's fine you guys had a different lifestyle to be living at that point but that's not necessarily true because it's like you can change if you wanted to change and you can evolve like we're all evolving in so many different ways right now because technology and like society we all have to always adapt but it's like how you choose to adapt can ultimately change the way we as society look at each other and that's a really important part in my opinion um, and thanks. also to add to that um, sorry, also to add to that, that I think that we, we shouldn't depend on other minorities, like we shouldn't depend on black people, we shouldn't depend on Asian people to kind of teach us about their, um, just their, their experiences on racism, right? We should go out, 
we should learn about it ourselves. It's our responsibility to do that. It's not their responsibility. So if that's reading a book or watching a documentary or even taking a course, like that's our responsibility. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It's not always our job to do that. Sorry, um, yeah, and the facts, I guess, to everything that was said. And um, again, I don't even mean to seem like I'm picking on Rebecca, but like, because um, Rebecca is offering a lot of um, dope insight. And like, what I would say, um, I'm speaking more so to the concern about, um, I guess, like being like, you know, you don't want to come off rude or come off this. But in truth, you're not responsible for anybody's feelings or anybody's reaction to what you say, so long as you're doing it respectfully. And I think that a big part of white fragility is that like insecurity and guilt almost of understanding that they are in a place of privilege. And yeah. for and most of race, like most of the conversation regarding race ends up being a burden um, that's that falls on the marginalized, um, the marginalized, I guess, group in the interaction, so to speak. And like for the first time when um, people bring up or people bring up, I guess, race-related issues within white circles, it now eventually becomes their problem. And and it becomes something that they have to endure. However, um, actually, I won't, I, I was gonna say something, but I don't think I should say that. But I think that it should, um, it, yeah, it becomes their problem. And with that comes that fragility and that, um, that almost like blissful ignorance or naivety kind of, of like, oh, um, I don't know what to say. I'm not this. I'm not that. However, um, yeah, you might not be racist. However, you still operate and still affirm white supremacy. Therefore, you should listen. So yeah. it's yeah, that's that's my two cents. So yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of like Rime said, a lot of guilt um, stems from uh, not stems from. Sorry, a lot of guilt leads to, I guess, opportunities that aren't really transparent. So you see a lot of a lot of job opportunities that are being posted um, to promote uh, and help help spread awareness for marginalized communities. You see scholarships being available, um, even though a lot of them are within our own community and we are helping each other. Um, some of them are just like, okay, here we gave you guys this job. Now let's stop talking about it. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let, don't bring it back into our workplace that we're not diverse. That we're not that we're only hiring certain amount of people, right? So um, even back to my other point to in scholarships, um, we see here, Rebecca said that she takes a lot of advantage of all the scholarships that she gets. Um, but on the flip side to it, maybe Logan, you can answer this. How does that look on maybe um, from a white, from a white male's perspective? Like, do you see those opportunities and they're, you're like, oh, like these, you know, like th this is too much now, or is it like it's not enough? We need to have more. We need to have more inclusion, diversity. It's never enough. It it really isn't because per capita, white people don't need the scholarships. We don't. We have the money to go and get an edge. If it was the U.S., it's like no one can afford it, like except the one percent. But in Canada, you know. If you get a part-time job, because also, for some reason, a lot of white people don't do part-time jobs in universities anymore because it's too stressful. Yeah. And it's like, what is going on? Privilege. That's the thing I realized, too. A lot mm -hmm. of, like, youth our age, um, 
it's a lot of it's a lot of marginalized youth that have worked during school or you know during their education it's not like during the school year yeah you'll have your summer thing you'll have your internship here but during the school year it's a lot of the diverse people that are working yeah. at the like like I'll confess, and whatnot i'll confess i've never worked a retail job my first job was with the ndp like my first job was through my connections and mm-hmm. um like the first job that i've actually gotten on my own merit is one in the summer uh in the public service in FSWEP. Um, but white people, there are some white people who need scholarships, but they're usually low income and they can take advantage of the low income scholarships. Like it doesn't make sense. Like for instance, I see, I saw recently a scholarship for Italian Canadians in Woodbridge. And I was like, they don't, need it like what is going on here like and then you look up the average income for woodbridge per household and it's like ninety thousand dollars and it's like yeah yeah no tuition at the university of toronto is about seven thousand so even if the kid pays half and their parents pick up the rest oh i'm not good at math but let's say it's like five thousand parent pays so like maybe three or two thousand maybe that the kid has to pay like Mm -hmm. these things don't make sense um you know there are always people who are going to need the scholarships but those people are usually low income but there's also um you know for me, going to university was never a question. It was literally, I was like 11 years old, and it was like, you're going to university. It's the yeah. only way that you have a future. And, and I think that one of the other things that should be talked about is needing more marginalized people and oppressed people in the trades, because it's so white, so white, like scholarships or like apprenticeships that are paid um, in the trades, because that definitely needs some... Uh, diversity in it Mm -hmm. honestly there are there are people from every single group whether marginalized or not that need scholarships but for me i i could go online and and honestly i didn't even need to really but i could go online and apply to like a hundred scholarships and probably get some and it doesn't make any sense Yeah. yeah And Rime as well, like you, um, you were, I brought up, when I introduced you, I brought up MLSE for a reason too, because you work, you work a lot with youth and you work on like um, developing and helping in, the, in such areas as well. So how does one, um, Logan touched on it as well, like it, might, it could be a bit more challenging to have that conversation as a minority, um, making that connection um, within, like if someone wants to be within the sport industry, going to be hard for them making that connection so what are some steps that like we could take um to potentially have those difficult conversations right even if you're from the ends even if you don't know much you know like what what are what are some of the steps that maybe uh you do down there to help you or something that you realize along the way yeah um interestingly enough i'm actually doing like a workshop on this next week um i can give the information to rebecca and zach maybe if you guys want to pop out you guys totally can. And I'm doing it with a um, professor, or I think he's do- finishing his PhD at U of T. His name is Jonathan Hood. And um, 
pretty much what we kind of talked about. Is it this? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the panel for this, but there's another workshop on another day. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that, that, and I'm doing it, yeah, with Jonathan. He's on there as well. But um, yeah, some of the things that we do at Launchpad and some of the things that Jonathan kind of shared too, which happened to be very similar, was um, it kind of starts with identifying the needs of a community or needs of, of the person even. I think it goes even down to the person, right? And knowing how you can actually properly support that person and offer them and help build that infrastructure so they can be... Um, so they can be as best as they can, you know? So like, for example, um, some, let me try to make it, I guess, let me see if I can bring it to myself. No, I can't, but I, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, yeah, it comes down to, again, identifying the needs of, of, uh, of these people and offering them what they need to be successful. And whether that be showing them mentors who are, or people who are in their field and, you know, just so they can, at least see somebody who looks like them being that field that in itself does something or offering them help with their university application or their job application or helping them find the resources so they can leave school with minimal debt. So again, I think it comes down to um, actually doing it with intention. I heard, I seen, I, I didn't hear, I, I saw somebody in the comments talk about intention when they were talking about posting, but um, acting with intention is very important. I think to answer your question, making sure that you are serving that person how they need to be served, I think would be the best way um, to answer that, Zach, Zachary Brown. Yeah, and, and, and I just want to say a big part of this, the government can solve and they don't. <laughs> for instance, if we look at the anti-racism budget for the province of Ontario, it is not enough to buy a house basically anywhere in the province. There's one. It's like, I think, 200000 if I remember correctly. That is nothing. That is a drop in the bucket. It's like, it's like literally compared to the total Ontario bucket, it's like a half of a hair. Like, it's nothing. Um, for education, how about free tuition? That would stop a lot of the hesitancy. How about free tuition? How about giving people the opportunities that they deserve? Mm -hmm. How about, um, you know, having dedicated OSAP grants for minorities in a situation, not just indigenous people, which should obviously, but um, other minorities. How about that? But again, we hear none of this because it's just, it's either not popular enough or it's not important enough because unfortunately people until it comes to a head don't care in my experience. Like even now, when's the last time that I've seen a Black Lives Matter post? It must have been weeks. And it's like you were the same person calling out and tagging people on Instagram, saying you're not posting BLM stuff publicly in a public forum, and now we haven't heard from you in three months. Where are you, sweetheart? Mm. Facts. Facts. I mean, I have my my quorum or my qualms, per se, about that, because it's like, 
well i understand like obviously we were posting about that and it's like it was a trend and now it kind of just like died out in a sense which it shouldn't have and like people should continue to post i just don't think that this is the effective way i'm sorry i think that people are just gonna get exhausted of seeing their social media because i'm not gonna lie to you guys i got really tired of it i got so tired of seeing so many different things every single day there was some new like social problem that was happening and I don't want to sound negative, but I don't think we can solve all of the social problems we see in the world. Like it's, it's not going to happen. We can try our best, but it just, it's not going to happen. And like, Definitely not on like, social media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I completely it's like, agree. It's more about the hypocrisy. It, it's like, yeah. and it's like, you have to like go further than that. Like you have to, you got to be willing to go through lengths and hoops and go to the people who can really do something, which will obviously be the lawmakers and the policyholders and who are those people, the people who are in office. And it's like, you're not going to reach them by just posting on your Instagram. That's like private. Like it's, it's not going to work. So it's like, to me, I just don't, I don't see the purpose in doing all of this when all of it's going to, all it's going to do is really just descent desensitize all of us to just seeing this and making it seem like it's so normal and then also it's just going to give us fatigue from being online like we're already burnt out enough from being online for just everything going on right now so to top it all off with all the social issues that you're seeing now it's like adding that to the equation in terms of trying to preach that it's just so much harder and it's just it's just so unbearing so like for me personally i just don't see the purpose in trying to call someone out like yeah they did it three months ago but what we should be doing is following up on have they contacted anyone have they really tried to meet any mps or mpps have they tried anything related to parliament like those are what we should be doing rather than just like pointing the finger because like pointing the finger isn't gonna get us anywhere it's just gonna keep us where we're at in my opinion yeah i i agree it's more what i was trying to do by saying that is it's more about the kind of these people aren't doing that. And you know what's the reason why? Because for a lot of the, these people, and I'm sorry to say, but for a, lot, for a lot of these people, reposting something is easy for them. And it's quick, right? You just click once, repost. But calling and making your voice heard to your MPP, that takes effort. And unfortunately, the majority of people don't want to make the effort. And, mm -hmm. and then they go, and then unfortunately, they go and cry. Oh, this isn't happening. Why is the government not doing anything? Because you've only signed that change.org petition that hasn't been sent anywhere. Yeah. The government isn't hearing you. So the government's not doing anything for you because there's no political incentive for them to do it until there is a political incentive, which you have not created at all. So, uh -huh. like, I, I get the whole let's not point our fingers at people, but also let's point our fingers at people because some of these people are just being lazy about their, it's not even activism. It's tokenism. These people are being lazy about it. And it's like, if you cared that much, if you saw MPP Sol Mamakwa getting told by the premier of this province that he was skipping the line for a vaccine and that he should be ashamed of himself, and you just posted something and thought that that was going to leave it out. Where were you on the premier's phone line? Where were you tweeting him? They weren't anywhere because they not a lot of people have access to that because we also have to acknowledge that. And I don't mean yeah. to play like devil's advocate because I always yeah. have to play but that if role. You play. Do, but I mean, if girls you do not have any access to a home line, to a phone. Like, you do have a home line. Everybody's like, 
Justin Trudeau, like premier, he's talked, oh, like Doug Ford, like not everybody. He Obviously, you can't just start at the top of the chain. Like, yeah. you got the, no, you, you go OLA.org. You will yeah. find every single contact mm -hmm. of the MP and MPPs. You make a call to them, you call their assistant, and you start and you talking to yeah, and you can no, that call was the even the premier. Never... You can call. You can call the premier's office. You're not going to talk to Doug Ford himself, but you're going to talk to one of his people who writes, who actually writes down everything that's been said. And if enough people call, it gets on his desk because they're like, we are being told by eight thousand people on those phones that you need to do something. And what happened when people actually called about that incident? He apologized two days later. That didn't happen for Breonna Taylor. It didn't because people signed that. People signed that change.org petition and they didn't call the Kentucky Attorney General. I, they didn't call. I think call. that situation is also a little bit different though because people exactly. said call. Okay. No, we, that situation, okay, that situation was not different. enough. People, people did, did call, celebrities called people called social media was knocking on their like and, and not only social media like people were trying to make movements that's just a whole other systemic issue that is yeah. the point i'm trying to make right now mm -hmm. is there's these issues right we see these issues sometimes knocking on premier's door is not going to work so taking things into our own hands right and i and i see that like for example like how we have this webinar series and we're having this discussion right instead of just waiting for someone else to have it we can have this discussion but we also need to acknowledge the fact that like shania said we kind of have to work your way up you can't just right away call doug ford right so i would say just when posting on social media i would say check your tone like because some people are really emphasizing it and then not backing it up without doing anything or just really reposting what hundreds of other people already repost right so i think just starting off there like making sure that you post things that you actually care about or things that you actually find interesting and then maybe taking things into your own hands because there's certain things that you can take into your own hands right and then try to reach out to the people who can reach out to doug ford and stuff but when we come to like the brianna taylor situation People were knocking, people were calling, people were working hard, but it was a systemic issue. And so when we have to deal with systemic issues like that, we can't go to the people who are the creators of the systemic issue. Sometimes we have to take things into our own hands. So we have to take that into account as well. Mm -hmm. Like realistically, not every teenager is gonna call Doug Ford up. Does that mean that they can't do anything else either? Right? Like they can, like I, I, all, all I'm saying is there's, there's alternative mm -hmm. ways as well. Cause we also wanna be realistic. I don't want to, and that came off pessimistic. Like, of course you can take those links, right? But I also want to be realistic for the average teenager, right? Because there's yeah. still things that that average teenager can do beyond just reposting that thing on social media. Yeah, that, that's the general message that, that I'm trying to get across. And it can't just be once because, you know, I found that when I email MPs about stuff like my local MP, you don't get a response on the first email. You get a response on the fourth. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. I've had this uh, like problem way too many times. And like my subcommittee right now, we're trying to set up a private members bill to help with like the indigenous people in the water crisis. My goodness. I feel like they're not going to email us until like next year. It's like it's like nobody's problem right now. And it's like. I, I understand where you're coming from in terms of like a law, like maker's perspective, like a lot of them tend to either be lazy and not really do anything in their position, or it's like, since it doesn't directly affect them, and I'm going to call it out, like sometimes 
obviously these issues aren't going to directly affect them because they might be of a different race. It's just, they're not going to do anything about it. And it's like, obviously that's when social media comes in, like all of everybody posting around the world, getting a a whole reach. Yeah. That's going to make such a difference because it's like now people are, able to start thinking about how they can kind of help and those people who are involved are obviously lawmakers so i definitely agree with you rebecca like in terms of trying to figure out how everyone can kind of contribute to this because it's like obviously not all of us are going to want to do like the lawmaker side like we want to figure out other ways that we can go about this to help like everybody Mm -hmm. yeah so we are you know we are reaching a closing point I just want to, you know, before we get, you know, to the closing point, I just want to ask if anybody else here has any points, any questions, any things that, you know, they want to get out here on the panel before we get to that point. I kind of have something, and I guess, like, this is, like, a, a question for everybody here. I was just, like, wondering, what do you guys think in terms of how society has progressed? Like, I always have this question. I always have to, like, I have this discussion, like, what do we think? Do we really think we're taking steps forward? Are we just doing one step forward, three steps, like, back or a million back? Like, I, I want to know what other people think, honestly. Depends what you're talking about. Culturally, I would say... um Culturally, I would just say read a book. George Grant, Lament for a Nation. That's Read that if you want to know my thoughts on culture. Um, cultural. Even though it is a bit whitish, it's still a very good um, thing. Uh, I would say socially we've progressed far more than I would ever think that we would have. But today uh, our webinar is race. So my question is like, what do you guys think in terms of racism? Have we really done in like, I mean, obviously we are doing a lot, but have we done enough where we've have progressed to a different stage? Or do we just really think that we, we like to think that we are, but we're honestly far back. Sorry guys. I think that, um, I think that we're, we're spreading awareness, right? So I do think that we are progressing. And I think that um, the, the white community um, specifically, you know, they're getting woke and they, they can, um, they see the, the problems in the world now that are happening. So I do think that we are progressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to add on to Lauren's point as well, um, in terms of pro- progressing, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I will say though that we have changed. Um, like progressing and change are two completely different terms in my book. Um, just because I think racism today, um, kind of our, ironically our, 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 our title for today, it's more, I, I would say more kind of subtle, right? And we, we kind of talked about it, we, talk, we kind of talked about it, racism is in the workplace without being in the workplace, right? Like uh, interviewers see names on application and don't even look at it twice because of your name, right? And um, I think that, I think that portion of racism is not really being talked about a lot. Um, but I do think we are at a weird point in our history where Finally, like Lauren said, awareness is being spread and awareness and guilt are are being augmented at the same exact time, right? And Rime touched on the guilt portion as well. Um, that guilt aspect is detrimental, but at the same time, it can't be, it has to be genuine. It has to be very transparent because um, that, that, that guilt can lead to like, like we kind of mentioned, fake opportunity, not fake opportunities, but not real opportunities right like limitations within a workplace 
um, even though some minorities would feel like, oh, this is an opportunity for myself. But then they're like, hey, we gave you this, leave us alone, right? So in terms of that aspect as well, um, right, like we could, like it's, it's, very, it's very hard to say. Um, I will say we have changed though. In terms of, in terms of progression, it's, it's still a wait and see, honestly. It's still, it's still a wait and see. Um, more change still has to be done and it has to be consistent. Like change is not something that is done overnight. Like it's very consistent and very persistent. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I guess that's my, my answer for that one. Uh, even to add, I guess, to um, what you said, Zach, um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's changed, it's adapted because um, like racism is, or race and all of these things are all part of society. And so it adapts to um, the way society is moving sort of thing, you know? So um, it's, it's an adaptive idea, you know? And like, um, it's interesting though, because I agree with, I kind of, I stand on that hill with Zach when it comes to this this question, because um, like we've never seen, like for example, like when Rodney King, that whole Rodney King, um, Rosa Parks, the one thing that they didn't have was Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. You see, so um, with that, the information is there and, and people are making it very, very visible. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, it isn't, I guess, as consistent, I mean, as consistent as I would hope for personally, because, you know, it, it took George Floyd dying for people to kind of just go rah-rah, but um, um, Trayvon Martin died, I think, 2012, 2010, something like that, I'm not sure. But so, yeah, it's not consistent, but I think the thing is, though, um, Shania, I think it's, I want to believe that we're moving in the right direction just because there are, again, a lot more um, conversations regarding like equity, diversity and inclusion, and um, even like affirmative action being taken kind of a bit more seriously. And also, again, like people are holding people accountable. Um, Trump is an example of that. I think like, although um, the people surrounded, surrounding him may not have kept him accountable, I think that um, the American people and likewise the world kind of held him accountable for his behavior um, a lot of times. And so like, we're kind of starting to see a shift where certain things aren't sliding, but same ways, like Zach said, things adapt and things change. So we'll kind of have to wait and see, but I mean, I hope, um, yeah, and I guess speaking today, I'll say that I, I hope it is moving forward, but yeah, we'll see still. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you said, Rime. And just just to, you know, add on to I guess Shania's question, when I hear like, do you think do you think things have really changed? Something that comes to my head is power. And I just and it's contradicting, especially as someone who works with inequity, like as the CSLIT director of equity, I feel like my response right now is gonna be kind of contradicting. But I feel like a, a reason why I don't feel like there is a lot of changes because the people who are trying to create change are not people who are in power. And I think that's why we struggle to see anything that's tangible. Cause I mean, like you said, we can speak to these people, we can try to email these people, we try to do all these things, but nothing really comes of it. And even this year after creating 
and I feel like I feel like there were, there was some progressions from my works, but like after creating a black alliance, after creating this, this, and that, but then at the end of the day, that student has to go and deal with that racist teacher within their classroom. That student still has to go and deal with their friend who has who thinks these stereotypes is a funny comment. So I agree. I definitely think there's change, but I I I don't know. In my opinion, I feel like. I used to be like, well, for our generation, it's gonna be like way better. Everything is gonna be way better. But then I see someone my age saying controversial things and then not taking correction and then standing on it. And I'm like, wow, like, where are we gonna go now? Like, like these things still exist. So I think racism looks completely different. Like Zach said, it definitely is more invisible, but um, like, it's still there. So I think there's change, but in terms of progression, like there's, in terms of systemically, like it's all still there really. And I think we, and I think we know that we just have to work a little harder than everybody else to get to certain positions. But when that time comes, when we are in those positions, I see, I see bright things ahead, though, for sure. But yeah, um, I know. Sorry, Zach, I just cut you off. My bad. Well, I think I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It's nice to see what everyone else here thinks because I've. I've had a few of these conversations, but it's nice when it's like a panel like this and like, you know, people are actually very passionate about speaking about it. Yeah. And so just to quickly recap, you know, before Zach goes ahead and close everything off, right? Because today, like the title of our discussion is Racism Today, What Now? Right? So I think a few things that we can take away from this discussion, like right off the bat, is we got to dead, like the social media activism, like the performative activism, like we have to go just beyond send and then send it to your story like you have to go beyond just doing that like and whether that means you know you go and you join that committee or you go and you speak to this person to try to see if they can do this this and that then that's what it means but we can't just make a post and then expect for things to change another thing we mentioned is acknowledging our privilege you know as people of like as someone who is not of color right acknowledge that your privilege is there Acknowledge that even though, and Shania touched on white savior complex, acknowledge that, you know, you are in a place where I guess you can speak up, right? But make sure, which leads me on to my next, my next point, make sure you're speaking up, but you're not speaking over the people, you know, who are trying to get their voices heard. Because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily your voice that, you know, we're trying to focus on right now. We're trying to focus on the people who are oppressed, people who are dealing with the discrimination of society and of our systems, right? So making sure that when you speak, make sure you're not speaking over, you know, certain people. Have those difficult conversations with your your family. I know we mentioned in the beginning, they say problematic things. It took, you know, and, and I don't even mean to put my personal business out there, but it took a while for my mom to get comfortable with me nitpicking at everything that she's saying when it comes to, when it comes to everything, right? Because she's an African lady. So just imagine like all of the things that is coming out, like it took a while until like, you know, she actually sat down and took in what I had to say. So of course, be careful. Cause you know, that can, that Reme just put in the chat and I have to say it aloud right now. I'm Havisha, I'm not black. We are black, we're black. East Africans are black, we're black. Like it's right here, you know, things like that. And then them justifying that Havisha means you're mixed or this, this and that, no. You're, we're black. At the end of the day, that white man sees the same skin tone that Lauren has, that you know, that Shania has, that Zach has, that Rime has, right? So at the end of the day, like making sure you have those conversations with your parents, have those conversations with your teachers too, with your principals as well. And then, you know, work hard and get into those positions of power so that we can create the change that we want to see. Ally ships. 
you know, gotta think that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Just want to thank you guys one more time uh, for being on the panel, for sharing your insightful perspectives, um, even though this was not an easy topic to discuss, but I think this speaks to everyone's leadership in a sense, um, because we had the courage to speak on um, something that, you know, it's kind of hard to talk about too. Um, so I just want to thank um, all you guys for coming. Uh, Logan, Logan, you, you gave some insightful knowledge that I just wanted to highlight, especially too, that's not always talked about and not always shared um, within um, your community as well. So I just want to thank you for that transparency as well. Um, but that is our time. So we do thank you guys. Um, we will, we're going to wrap up now. Um, backstage. We'll see you guys in a bit. So thank yes. you guys. Take care. Bye y'all. Alrighty. So that was, that was a pretty cool episode. I have to say. We touched I, I, a lot I, of controversial I, stuff. Yeah, I had to sit back. I had to, I had to listen because it's just a lot. It's just a lot. I appreciate, I appreciate Logan. I appreciate Rime, all everyone, uh, Lauren as well. Like that, um, just it was just it was just amazing, man. Yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. If you guys do want to learn more or have any other concerns, questions, um, some school supports that you can always refer to is a teacher, uh, CYU, CYW, um, guidance counselor, or vice principal, principal, um, school social worker, or school psychology staff. I was saying it slow just to emphasize all of the important resources that you can find. Um, so please make use of it. They are there to help. Yes, and if it is after school hours, there are community supports that are there for you guys. You guys can check up What's Up Walk-In at their website, whatsupwalkin.ca, or you guys can call Mental Health TO with the number that's up there on the screen. And you guys, of course, can call Kids Help Phone Line or go to their website, kidshelpphoneline.ca, or text connect to 686868. Yes. All right, so of course, in every episode, we have to plug our different platforms. If you guys miss any episodes, or if you guys wanna re-watch or re-listen to this episode, maybe you guys are on the go, we have our episodes on podcasts. You guys can find us on Spotify, and you guys can find us on Google Podcasts, and our episodes are posted there weekly so that you guys- Every Friday. Every Friday, so that you guys can get um, our episodes on the go, as well as our Instagram page. If you guys have any questions, um, anything that you you know you maybe want us to bring up and stuff, any updates on our webinar and our show, it will be posted on the focus so you guys can focus. Um, so you guys can focus on that. You guys can follow that account, you know, to get some information. You make a thing like that, so you guys can focus in or something like that. We need yeah. to make a <laughs> we need to say something like that. And of course, we kind of hinted at it earlier. Rima hinted at it as well. Um, if you guys do want to learn learn more about diversity, inclusion, and sport. Um, within um, MLSE Launchpad or opportunities, you guys can contact us. Um, we will give we will give you more information when we get it from Mr. Rime himself. But uh, as you can see, he will be the moderator, the host for that. So you'll see him in kind of that perspective as well. Um, yes. So <laughs> let us know, let us know what um, what you got, what you guys' interests are, and we can make definitely 
definitely make that connection for you. Yes. And then next week's episode, our final episode. Final episode. Oh my gosh, I can't believe time is passing. But our next episode, we're going to be discussing money versus passion. Mm. Mm. This one, this one's a big one. This one, I think it's something that's really prominent in a lot of young people's lives. You know, going into a career, does it make money? What are my parents saying? This, this, and that. So money versus passion. We're going to be joined with a get like, with a whole panel full of entrepreneurs and people who um, kind of have experience in, experiences within this. And we'll be discussing the different methods on staying focused, finding your passion and how to properly set goals, as well as how to deal with those setbacks when they come along and then how to get back on track when dealing with that. So I'm really excited for next week's episode. Really this, is, this is something that's prominent in our lives, you know? Really excited for this. And as well, too, if you guys do have any questions in advance that you guys maybe want us to address, just hit us up in our in our DMs on Instagram, thefocus.foy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this should be a good one. This should be yeah. a great one. It is our last one, so we are going to go with a bang as well. Um, like Rebecca said, if you guys want to learn more, listen more, it is available <clears throat> on, on Spotify and Google Podcast. Yes. But... Share with a friend because next week, although it won't be the last time you guys are seeing us, it won't. It, it won't, won't definitely be the last won't. time. It won't be the last time you guys are seeing us, but it will be the last webinar that we will be having on the focus for now. So, on that note, my name is Zach. I'm Rebecca, and we'll, and we'll see, see you, guys you guys next time. Next. Bye, guys. Take care.